0: So, um, so I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, I had at the time, this is 2009, summer of 2009. I had, you know, obviously I had my, my wife and we had two, two beautiful kids. They were, they were young, they were two years old and one years old, you know, basically, um, you know, loud luggage at the time. (laughs) So, you know, I just packed everything up and packed up the kids and, and we went on our adventure.
1: This is the SparkCast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Amir Nazarbadi's love for animation grew out of watching cartoons as a child. Peanuts, Rocky and Bullwinkle, and pretty much anything else you could find on TV, But he never imagined that he'd one day find himself working in the industry that sparked his creative passion. A career in finance seemed like a great idea. It was stable, and as a career counselor once told him, there will always be need for accountants. But after years of working as an auditor, he followed an inner instinct to search for something new, and that search led him to his first position in the film industry. Now, with 20 plus years of experience, Amir is a veteran and leader of the industry, having worked at some of the largest and most respected companies in animation, including Pixar, Paramount Pictures Animation, Illumination Entertainment, and Disney. We recently had a chance to speak with Amir about his career, taking risks, and how his curiosity has shaped his work as a leader. Here's my conversation with Amir Nasrabadi. Amir, thank you so much for making the time speaking me with me today. Um, I'm I wanted to start by getting to know you a little bit more. So, can you talk a little bit about you know where you grew up, what you were like as a kid, what was young Amir like?
0: Yeah, Marina. First of all, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I don't I don't really do a lot of this sort of thing, so I'm so I'm excited about this. Thank you. Um, well, so yeah, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born in Tehran, Iran. I'm a first generation immigrant to the United States. Uh, we moved to the U.S. very early on, um, well before the revolution, sort of in the early 70s when I was three years old. So so I grew up really in, in the U.S. and we, we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. My parents were going to university there um, on a student visas. And and when i came over um i didn't i didn't speak any english i spoke farsi at the time so i was also sort of learning english uh that in that early age and you know it was you know really my early recollections were around 4 years old where <laughs> you know believe it or not my you know my mom and i would sit in front of the tv and learn english by watching sesame street that was our sort of um that was our introduction to um to Western society and English, and that's when I started to sort of really fall in love with um, just fun and interesting characters on TV, and didn't really realize it at the time. But but it um, but it was also obviously very educational. And I grew up in in Minneapolis for a number of years, but not too long. Around age age ten or so, um, we moved to uh, Los Angeles. Um, so this was sort of in the early eighties, 81 or so. And, um, and I had always sort of been into, um, sports. I liked sports, you know, um, and I also really, you know, was, was watching quite a bit of TV in my free time, you know, back then there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot to do, you know, no internet and, you know, I don't know, maybe four or five channels on the TV and, you know, we didn't even have a remote control. We had one TV, Um, You know, we lived in a small apartment and, you know, when I wasn't outside playing basketball or trying to, you know, throw a football around or something with some, some friends and, and neighbors, I was doing my homework or watching TV. And I always would just try to consume every piece of animation on TV. And not because I wanted to like have a future career in it, but just because it was, something to do. And it was fun and, you know, it was funny. And so I grew up on a lot of the uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle and uh, Droopy and, you know, some of the old Warner Brothers stuff. And that's what was sort of free on broadcast TV at the time. You know, I, you know, we didn't really have the means to go out and, and, and watch movies and go to those sort of, you know, the bigger sort of event event films and things. But um, but I sort of slowly grew my love of, of animation at an early age without really realizing, um, it it was just sort of a a more of a way to pass the time, quite honestly, you know, and as I got older, I I sort of got more and more into, into sports and and things and, and team sort of events and things like that. And, and I sort of, it was a period of time where I sort of grew out of animation. I think it was, you know, sort of in my, um, teenage years. And then I sort of, interestingly enough, returned to the love of animation, um, after I graduated college, believe it or not, um, but now I'm getting older, so <laughs> so I'll stop there.
1: Well, I- I'm curious, so, you know, when you were a kid growing up, you were consuming all this television because, like you say, it's something to do. What did you, did you have any idea at that point what you wanted to do when you kind of, quote-unquote, grew up?
0: No idea, no idea. I mean, you know, I grew up in a traditional household and, you know, where it was there was a lot of conversations around the dinner table about, you know, being a doctor, being a lawyer, being an engineer, you know, these are more sort of traditional um, Iranian professions. And, you know, I actually thought, you know, oh, I'll be a doctor. That that sounds cool. I can, you know, help people. And that sounds like a worthy career. And I remember, I remember one day, my, my mom came home, I don't know, I must have been 12 or 13. And she brought me this anatomy book. She went out and bought this anatomy book and, and brought it to me and 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 said, "Here, you know, here, here's something for you to, you know, start to learn about stuff and you know, get your feet wet in the medical field." <laughs> and I was excited for about ten minutes. Um, I flipped through that book and I thought, "Holy moly!" Like. I mean, it was super complex, and it, it was clearly the wrong book for a twelve-year-old. <laughs> it, it was like a college textbook almost. And I realized that, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe this isn't for me. Um,
1: Parents so that, be warned! Uh, so, yeah, the way you're uh, your kids out of being doctors.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I, I realized that, but but really, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I think there was, um, and you know, what was going on with me was really I was a I was a Pretty good student in school, really mostly gravitating to the quantitative side of things, um, math really mostly and and again, because English was my second language, I was never really great at language arts. Um, I started to get better over time, but it was never it was hard for me. Math was a little bit easier for me, and so you know as a as a kid growing up in the sort of great school years i um, I, was, I was pretty good. I was, you know, academically, I was, I was doing well. Um, and then as I, as I sort of got a little bit older, uh, and then especially when I went to, went to college, I started to lose interest in academics, and I started to feel uh, the need to really go out and try to do things rather than try to sort of learn them from a textbook. And, um, and I realized early on in college, you know, probably my first semester was that um, I don't, I don't really want to go to grad school. You know, grad school was not something that was interesting to me. And you know that was a little devastating for my, my mom in particular. Um, you know, she had different sort of hopes for me, which, which was okay. It, it was all right. She was very supportive the whole way, but, um, but it was, but it was good. And then um, some career counselor, I think in my my first year in college. And I asked her, I said, well, like, I asked her, I remember saying, what, what, how do I get, like, what's the best major for me if I want to um, make sure I get a decent job after a four year, uh, you know, school and four year university. And, And she said, accounting, she said, accounting, you can't go wrong. You'll get plenty of jobs and there'll always be a need for it. And, and I thought, okay. So I just started taking accounting courses. Um, and, um, And so and then uh, and then so I double I ended up double majoring in um, accounting and business economics at University of California, Santa Barbara. That's where I went.
1: And and right after graduation, you went right into a job at Deloitte, right?
0: I did. I did. I was um, I was, you know, it was was one of those things. And and it's, it's really interesting now that I look back on it. There were there were my accounting classes, which sort of were relatively easy for me. Um, They seemed difficult for a lot of people, but for me, they felt natural, really easy. It was just sort of, you know, my my brain just sort of sorts things in its head. And so that's sort of what accounting is. You're sort of, you know, sorting and organizing money essentially. So I I was doing really well in, in accounting courses, but then there was also these other courses that I was taking as electives that I absolutely loved. And it was art history. Mm-hmm. Those were my two things. You know, I, I loved learning about art history um, and all of my electives went toward art history. And I don't know why. I just really loved it. I, I thought, you know, um something was just gravitationally pulling me toward uh, all of these amazing old masters of art and and I think coupled with the sort of analytical side of of accounting and economics, um you know, I think that now that I look at it, those two things are very much um embedded in me to this day. Um, the fondness and appreciation of, of creativity and and art, um, coupled with the sort of the, you know, the, the, the business and, you know, analytical side of, of, you know, a, a, a studio operation, you know? Um, but yes, I was one of the very sort of few, um, accounting students back then to land a job before graduation. And it was with Deloitte, um, and uh, I was brought in as a uh, an auditor. That was my that was my job title. Auditor.
1: Well, that's kind of a big deal, though, because I mean, like Deloitte is this worldwide institution. Everybody knows the name. So, I mean, that but it must have been pretty pretty exciting for you at the time. And I'm assuming for your parents, must have been very proud of your accomplishment. Even before graduation, you have already landed a job with such a great institution.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, at that time, I thought, well. I don't know if I love accounting, but at least I, I seem to be good at it and I'll just keep going. And then there was this sort of CPA, um, goal that everyone had graduating, you know, with accounting background and my parents were very proud. And so I went, uh, so I sort of said, I'm, yeah, I'm going to pursue, you know, a CPA, um, uh, uh, sort of accreditation. Um, and I did that. I was at Deloitte for around three years or so. And so I got my CPA, um, and, and there was something that just didn't fit well with me there. Um, I think there's just a tremendous amount of really talented, smart people in that field. Um, but for some reason I was missing, uh, the connection to something. Um, and you know, in the, in the, in the sort of a, a company like Deloitte, you're, you know, you're, performing a valuable service, but you're, but you're moving around, right? You have multiple clients and, you know, you'll go in for two or three weeks at a time or a month or two or whatever it takes. And and then you move out and then you go to another client and it felt a little transient to me. I didn't feel rooted. Um, I didn't feel like I was gaining a deep understanding of how a business actually operates. Um, what I was gaining was a tremendous amount of technical accounting knowledge, which, you know, over the course of those three years felt less and less interesting to me.
1: Mm. So is that what kind of that, that feeling of being kind of uh, left to the wind, is that what led to, you know, looking for something more, um, I don't want to say stable, but something that had more of a of, of a permanence to it?
0: Well, so, yeah, so the while I was doing that, um, as I had mentioned, I was sort of, you know, coming out of college there. So this is around, um, I think I graduated university in 93, something like that. And then, um, and then so around 94 or five, what was it? I think Toy Story came out. Um, and I was obviously still, you know, as I'd mentioned earlier, I was the, I was the, the guy in my 20s who started watching cartoons again, believe it or not. And, and that Toy Story came out and it, it really, it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I think it blew a lot of people's minds. And, um and I just sort of wondered, wow, like how, that's amazing. Like that's, it's unbelievable. You know, I had audited a, a couple of sort of media companies, a couple of technology companies, but I didn't really realize that those two things could converge. So I, I started to talk to some, you know, outside recruiters about potential opportunities, um, in this field. And there was not much going on. Um, uh, there were some early visual effects going on. And, and so I got fortunate to land at a early startup called Centropolis effects back in was it 1997, something like that. Um, they were just starting up. Um, uh, the founders were Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich, um, uh, film producers, they had just got done producing Independence Day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And on that project, they farmed out uh, the visual effects to a lot of different visual effects studios. And and so on the on the back of the success of that movie, they decided to set up their own studio called Centropolis Effects. And, and I think I was like the, I don't know, 10th or 11th person hired uh, as like an accounting manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I jumped in and it, it was it was a fun time. It was really exciting. The The studio was sort of building up and, you know, the, um, the filmmakers had an arrangement with uh, uh, Sony at the time for an output deal. And 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 that's when I started to really sort of grow this love of this whole field of and convergence of, of you know, media and technology and, um, you know, di- digital effects, visual effects at the time was still pretty nascent, you know, there was a lot of practical effects happening, um, you know, blowing up models and stuff. And, um, and so it felt very new and fresh and exciting. Uh, And so, um, and, and, you know, and, and I was also deeply inside of a business operation, which is what I wanted. So that's how I sort of broke into the field, broke, broke out of Deloitte (laughs) and into, into industry.
1: Can you talk about then making the move to to Disney? Well, I think I, I guess at the time Disney and Pixar were probably still separate. But can you talk a little bit about how you came to Disney the first time?
0: Yeah, so so um, so the Centropolis experience was great, but it was still a young company and it was still sort of you know finding its way. And I um, I got recruited by um, an outside recruiter, just a, sort of a an independent recruiter who was on a job search. Um, for um a um finance position a finance and operations positions at position at a at a bigger a bigger ind- a bigger visual effects studio called dreamquest images mm. um this was around uh, 99 or so and um dreamquest images you know centropolis was around 150 75 people dreamquest images was i think around 3 350 or something like that so big big size studio mm-hmm. um you know they had uh, both cg digital effects and practical effects with model shops and um and um and it was a it was a more integrated and bigger operation and and at the time they had just been purchased by disney disney mm-hmm. just purchased the studio as a captive visual effects provider for their for their movies and so i took that opportunity and i went in there and at the time let's see what what was in production at the time there was a you know, I'm going to name a few here. I'm going to date myself. Obviously I'm doing that, but let's see, uh, Spectre Gadget with Matthew Broderick, uh, Mm -hmm. Mission to Mars, um, Bicentennial Man, Armageddon was in production at the time. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a number of cool projects going on. And, and so that actually started to, um, I was able to sort of, you know, learn, learn a little bit more about how a bigger operation works. And then also, um, and also, just sort of scale my skills up a little bit. Um, so I was the um, head of finance and operations, and I reported to a, a general manager there, and um, uh, his name was Andrew Milstein at the time. And then I also reported to a head of live action production finance named Paul Steinke. So, um, and those were two important relationships that I had um, that that were um, that helped me a lot. Um, so that's how I sort of came into the Disney family.
1: And how did, so, I mean, you came into the Disney family on the live action side and the visual effects side. When did you start to make the transition to uh, the animation side of things?
0: Yeah, so so there was, a, there was an interesting sort of thing where I um, I sort of, I was at DreamQuest Images, not a whole lot. I think it was a little over a year. And then, and then believe it or not, I actually went back to Centropolis in an elevated role as a CFO for a couple of years where I helped them um uh sort of helped them grow a little bit and then and then sold sold the company uh helped them sell it but the whole time i realized that visual effects you know it, it's an interesting business it's a tough business um it's a service business and and i thought the whole time that you know i really want to be a part of the um ip side and i felt like um you know how do i how do i enter the ip side of things and um, while still being in this amazing field. And so um, I just continued to sort of network and reach out to some of my former Disney colleagues. And um, and I got an opportunity to go back to Disney. At the time, it was called Disney Feature Animation. Um, this is, I think, 2002 or so. Uh, and I went back and, and you know, I was a CFO at Centropolis and a director level at DreamQuest, um, And the Disney animation opportunity back then was a, a production accountant, um, to call them production finance leads now, but there was a production accountant position. It was a reduction in role scope and a pretty significant pay cut. Um, but I wanted it and I felt like it was a great investment to make. Um, and so I took that opportunity and I went in there and around 2002 or so, um, There's a couple of smaller projects that I was part of a little bit early on, but I landed on uh, Meet the Robinsons. Um, Meet the Robinsons was a feature film that I, you know, I was part of early on in development and and led through most of the film. Um, Let's see. And then um, I'll I'll keep going if you want. Is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I actually, I actually wanted to touch on, on this, uh, this thing that you just mentioned where, you know, when you went back to Disney, you actually took, almost like a step back in your career because you saw an opportunity there that you didn't want to pass up and you saw kind of like that there could be a a future there. Was that a hard decision for you to make or or was it pretty, pretty easy once that was offered or that was an opportunity that that's where you wanted to go?
0: Well, um, it's a good question. I mean, it was definitely look from a title and pay perspective, it was a, it was a significant reduction, right? It it was something around a 50% pay reduction which is significant. Um, I was very fortunate at the time. Um, it was just me and my you know, fiance at the time, who's not, not my wife of many, many years. And we, and, you know, we talked about it and we, you know, we were living a modest life and it was easy to do. Um, so, um, so it was not a difficult decision. I think for some other people it may have been difficult or impossible, but given my situation, it was relatively easy. Um, I've always been a marathon runner sort of mentality in my life. And so this felt like, yeah, you know, this this should hopefully pay off in 10 or 20 years. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and it did. Can we talk a little bit about you go into Disney in this lower kind of role, but, you know, you really did come out on top here because a number of years later, you were part of the team that launched uh, Pixar Canada. I, I just think it's fascinating because you have this accounting background, but you have a very, it sounds like you have like a very analytical sort of mind. And I'm wondering how that experience and the experience that you've had over the course of your career kind of prepared you. You for this, I can only imagine giant job of opening a new studio in a different country, no less.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, so a couple of things there. So the the interestingly enough, that this production accountant job, which is now, again, it's called the production finance lead. Back then it was, and it still is, it's a very important role on the production. Um, you know, you are really the sort of the scheduling and budgeting and financial partner to the, the associate producer, um, who is really right under the producer, who's really sort of running the day-to-day. Um, it's a pretty big job, and it's a pretty important job. Um, you're also, you know, watching over um, a schedule, a detailed schedule, um, and, and and sort of working with the production manager to build out reports and things like that. So it was actually a very, very sort of operational job inside of a production team. Um, Very, very different than what I was used to. You know, I was used to more corporate roles up until then. And this was a very, very in the trenches job, you know, during those three years as that in that role on meet the Robinsons, it really, really shaped my perspective on animation uh, because it was when I, that's when I truly, truly appreciated and respected Not only the art form, but the amount of effort and teamwork that it took to actually complete one of these projects. Um, You know, it was phenomenal to me. You know, I'm, you know, in those rooms with everyone scratching our heads trying to figure out how to solve really complex problems. And that was something that really rooted me into, you know, what it means to actually. Do these things and and get them done at a a high quality level, and and also how unbelievably hardworking and passionate the teams are. You know, the technology teams, the artists, um, the production teams really have to be sort of. It's an orchestra. I mean, it's literally an orchestra, and if one instrument is out of tune, it affects a lot of people and a lot of things, and and you can see it in the final product sometimes. So. Um, that was really transformational in terms of career for me. Um, um, one of the things that I was always doing was I was very curious. I'm generally a very curious person. Um, and, you know, so I would, I would, back then I would quickly sort of quickly do my job as, as, you know, as best I could, obviously. and But I'd try to get, try to at least get, you know, uh, an hour or two a day, frankly, to get off my, I get out of my desk and walk around and I would walk around and I'd sort of, you know, quite honestly, I was sort of, I don't know, I probably annoyed a lot of people, but I would, I would stand outside of animators offices or stand, you know, behind like an animation supervisor's desk for a few minutes. And, and, you know, they would, in most cases, turn around and, and say, Hey, and I'd say, Hi, (laughs) <laughs> and and I'd say, you know, uh, who are you? And I'd say, Oh, I, hi, I'm Amir. I'm I'm the production accountant on the project. Oh, nice to meet you. What can I do for you? And I'd say, you know, Oh, just curious to watch you do your work. And you know, what are you working on? And, you know, I'm doing a draw over, for example. And then I'd say, Oh, and I would remember hearing the word drawover in a production meeting and I'd be like, ah, what's what's a drawover? And then and then, you know, he would show me or she would show me. And um and I started to just understand more about what it took and and you know, and after doing this, you know, for over the course of three years, um, you know, I, I just I just sort of just learned and, you know, developed some knowledge. Um about really the intricacies of it, Uh, you know, back then, you, you know, you want to also remember that those were (laughs) living legends at this point, but some of the most accomplished, you know, animation professionals and artists in the, in the, you know, the history of the field, you know, you know, Ruben Aquino, Mark Henn, Nick Raneri, Randy Haycock. I mean, they were all, they were all there. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't really realize it at the time, but, um, but it was a, it was a, a fascinating learning experience for me. I almost feel like I could have walked away with some sort of a degree just from that experience. Um, Well,
1: I think that's so amazing that you put yourself out there and made the effort to kind of learn every part of the production. Because, I mean, that also, I mean, for you as somebody who, you know, you're curious and you want to see how things work, I can see how that would be like feeding your creative side as well. But it also provides you with an insight into uh the business that you know a lot of other senior level people might not have because they don't make that effort to get out of their office and and meet the people and see exactly what they're doing they're working at a high level and sometimes that makes you a little blind to some of the other things that are going on do you feel that that's also i i'm i'm assuming that this might be something that you've continued to do over the course of your career
0: i've tried to do it. it it's true you know i think with the with the scope of my job getting sort of you know, bigger mm-hmm. and bigger, it becomes harder and harder. So I have mm-hmm. to make a more deliberate effort to do it. Um, you know, I, I I wish I I wish I wish I could do it a couple hours a day like I was back then, um, but you know, nowadays it's maybe a couple hours a week if I'm lucky. Um, mm-hmm. So, but uh, but you're right. It it, it it is a it is an important thing, and I think it um, it it what it does, Marina. I think it 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 allows me to relate a little bit better to the challenges. And issues that uh, really are are happening on the floor, and so when I sit across from a producer or a head of production, um, and they're talking about the challenges, um, I I can't say that I fully understand them, but I I respect them, Um, and 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 I go into you know problem solving mode um, uh, rather than you know dismissing them or, or 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 thinking that they're trivial, you know, so. So it is, it has been helpful. Um, you know, the, 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 I was at Disney animation, um, for, again, at the time it was called Disney feature animation, um, uh, for until about 2005 and in 2005, um, I was asked to go and be head of finance and operations. Um, so, you know, relatively big promotion, um, to go be head of finance and operations for a division of Disney called Disney Toon studios. Um, they were doing, uh, direct to video feature animation, um, mm-hmm. mostly 2d, almost entirely 2d at the time. Um, a lot of the old sort of legacy titles were, you know, sequels, you know, um, that were, they were putting out. And, um, and that was a, that was an interesting challenge, a big challenge. You know, the studio at that time, that studio was really quite big. I think when I got there, we had released uh, six feature films on DVD uh, that year, 2005, I believe. And it was right around the same time where the DVD market was um, really soft, was falling down and there needed to be some major changes at that studio and uh, really streamlining it, um, focusing it on fewer titles um, moving it to a more sort of CG based, um, uh, approach, uh, and and moving projects into CG. Um, and I, I, sort of, I was one of the, one of the key people leading that effort. It was a very tough, tough few years I spent there, but it was very, um, very impactful and great learning opportunity. And, um, and, you know, we, we helped shape the, shape the studio and, um, the first project that we sort of um, came out with uh, after the turnaround was Tinkerbell. Bell. Um, mm-hmm. That was the first project, and Disney's Toon Studios had an interesting model where they were doing pre-production in um, in Burbank, uh, storyboarding, uh, editorial design, script, obviously, and and then hiring you know outside subcontractors for production. Um, and and that was a new that was a new model for me, and I, I learned quite a bit there. Uh, did a lot of traveling, visited a lot of subcontractors. Uh, mostly in um, uh, East Asia, and, um, and 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 that was that was a, a really really great learning experience for me too. Um, not just the sort of the turnaround and, and restructuring effort, but but also learning a different type of business model. You know, mm-hmm. um, up until then, Disney Feature Animation was all in-house, obviously at the time. So this was new and unique. Um, and around, I'd say around two thousand seven eight. Approximately around then, uh, was uh, Pixar folks came in, and I spent I ended up spending quite a bit of time, um, luckily and fortunately, with Ed Catmull. Uh, he was really interested, and in, uh, the CFO of Pixar at the time, and Ed, I spent a lot of time with them, and they were really interested in understanding more about the the production model and, and how that worked, and some of the um, you know. Um, some of the issues and challenges and benefits of it. Um, you know, the split production model with a subcontractor and, and that was, um, a really great time too. And, and, you know, in fact, it was, <laughs> it was so interesting to to them that we went on a, um, we went on a tour. Uh, I went on a tour with India, uh, with Ed Catmull and the CFO of Pixar, um, to, um, to India. And we went, <laughs> we we're about, uh, it's about a two week trip. We, I think we visited six or seven cities, Something wow. like twenty different studios. Oh wow! And uh, that was yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole separate podcast on that. <laughs> that was that was quite a, quite an adventure. Um, and and really the point was is like you know hey look at all of this you know great talent that's building up up here. And that was really the the intent of it really. And um, but it was all geared toward Disney Toon Studios and its operation and, and what we were doing. Um, Around that same time, I was being brought into um, sort of franchise meetings. They were called. Uh, Bob Iger had taken over um, a couple of years before that, and he had set up these franchise meetings where all of the different important stakeholders of the of the company would get together and talk about, for example, Toy Story or Cars. You know, to have people from you know the network group and um, Parks and resorts and consumer products, et cetera. And they, and they tuck, and of course, Pixar would be there, right? For example. And, and I was brought into a few of those, and there was a common theme where, you know, a lot of the, the partners wanted um, more content, more, more content uh, on these franchise properties. Um, you know, to keep them fresh and alive in the audience mind, but also keep the characters, you know, fun and, and, and relevant in the times and also help drive obviously business in other parts of the company. And, and there was always a challenge of Pixar's, obviously, you know, doing big feature films and, and, you know, resources were not readily available and, um, and, and, um, and, you know, for this type of short form content that, that the partners were looking for Um you know it is also you know it was you know quite expensive to do that type of content at pixar um and so i was sort of taking this all in i was still working at disney toon studios and i decided to sort of just rough out a very simple business plan and i pitched it to to ed and um and the cfo at the time and it was just very simple it was what about if pixar expanded and what if they expanded abroad um and to tap into a different talent pool a very good talent pool. Um, and we'd have a consistent team to do the work. Um, we could develop a a sort of a consistent output and slate of projects, uh, short projects centered around cars and toy story. And then we could, you know, make sure that our partners were being offered sort of more consistent slate of these projects. And, um, it was, it was received well. And, you know, it was about 12 months of planning up and down and, you know, Lots of approvals and up and down the, the whole company uh in and, and including Pixar and um and so that was approved. That's sort of how that the Pixar Canada studio at the time was sort of conceived.
1: Oh wow. So you were the man that pitched it. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a a very quiet uh, way to to take credit for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, uh, and that was, and you know, it was, it was, (laughs) and at the time, honestly, I was just sort of planning it. I was planning it, putting it together. And toward the end of the planning, once it got the green light, green light, they asked me if I wanted to go run it, um, and start it. And I had no experience doing any of that, but, but I love doing hard things. I like taking challenges on, um, you know, when everyone's running out of a burning building, I like to run into the burning building. I'm not sure why, but, but I thought this is really, this is interesting opportunity. And so, um, so I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, I had at the time, this is 2009, summer of 2009. I had, you know, obviously I had my, my wife and we had two, two beautiful kids. They were, they were young. They were two years old and one years old, you know, basically, um, you know loud luggage at the time <laughs> so you know I just packed everything up and packed up the kids and, and we went on our adventure um that was sort of that was <laughs> yeah
1: i I'm curious i i'm going to jump i'm going to skip ahead a little bit and then come back because i want to make some comparisons, but I did want to get a sense uh, a little bit about um uh, well after Pixar you went back to l a to do a you were there for a few years and then you came back to Vancouver um to work at wild brain and I wanted to talk about that experience a little bit because clearly you know you are already familiar with Vancouver and what the 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 climate here and what the um the talent pool here was so you kind of knew already sort of what you were getting yourself into, but I'm curious about that experience at wild brain. What was it about that position that kind of appealed to you and was enough to bring you back here?
0: So, yeah, there's, there's actually two parts to that. Um, I, um, I went, I moved back to, to LA. Um, I mean, obviously I have family there, but I moved back. It was more of a, more of a reaction than anything, to be quite honest with you. Um, it, it just felt like, you know, should probably go home. And and I still at the time considered LA my home. And I don't know why, honestly, I don't know why. It was more psychological than anything. So we moved back and I worked at Paramount Animation. I worked at Illumination, you know, obviously had the, Amazing opportunity. Work with someone like Chris Melodondri was just amazing and fantastic, and you know, another huge learning experience. But the whole time when we were in LA, you know, I, I kept thinking, and my and my wife and I kept talking about, you know, boy, it sure would be great to move back to Vancouver if we had the chance. You know, you know, having been going back to LA, we realized that it we our lifestyle was just different in Vancouver and and better for us as a family, um, and and really, we just kept sort of thinking and hoping and wishing that we could ever move back. And and there was a point in time at illumination, um, you know, where my contract was ending, where I thought, you know, why don't we take a moment and uh, let's let me poke my head around Vancouver and and see if there's anything up there. And I did get connected with the, um, with DHX uh, later re- rebranded to wild brain, obviously. And, and I met with a, a lot of the team there and both in Toronto and and the and the team in Vancouver. And it was an interesting opportunity. I thought, you know, um they're doing um, you know, series work. I've never done series work. You know, that that's really interesting to me. That's a that's a new thing that that I'm really um interested to learn. Um and they were also, and they are obviously also doing 2D animation as well as CG. And I had never really been part of a 2D studio. Um, and in fact, I actually believe that you know, 2D animation when it's done when it's done well is, is probably the most beautiful art form in the world. Um and I just wanted to be uh, those were two compelling things and 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 also the team was, you know, was was really gracious and smart and hardworking and I felt um I felt like yeah, you know, I can I can come in here and, and both learn and also also help the studio, help the company, and you know they, they have you know Wild Brain is doing service work for for clients, obviously, but but also they have some really interesting intellectual property. You know, obviously the Peanuts was a big was a big draw for me. I thought, wow, this is awesome. You know, I grew up on Charlie Brown and the Gang, mm-hmm. and I thought that could be fun. You know, so there's a lot of interesting things there. Um, and so that opportunity combined with my uh, with our family's sort of interest in moving back to Vancouver and making it our home. Um, sort of led me to this.
1: I'm curious because you led the studio through a really difficult time during the pandemic. I mean, you basically went from, you know, full studio of people working in inside a studio together, transitioning to everybody working from home. Can you talk a little bit about how you tackled that challenge and, and what sort of was... Um, you know you you say that you, you you tend to run in when people are running out so how did you kind of um what, what what went into the preparation for this shift and this rather quick shift as well
0: yeah boy oh boy i don't know if there was any preparation quite honestly um i don't think i don't think anyone was really prepared for this um um you know I, it there was a <laughs> it was almost like you, you could slowly sort of slowly watch a a train coming at you. Mm -hmm. And, and you're like, oh, that's, that's, oh, that, that's far away. We're okay. And then you're like, wait, wait, no, that's actually not far away. That's like coming at us very fast, Mm -hmm. but we still have time. And then you sort of go to sleep and you wake up the next day and you go, oh my God, I hear it coming. Oh my God. Like it, it was not, it was, it was, it was those. It was one of those moments where I, I think I literally woke up one day and I thought, we got to do something now, like mm-hmm. immediately. Like we cannot wait around, hope for something to get better. This was, I think, the first week of March um, 2020. Um, and <laughs> got all the team together. And, of course, everyone's like, ah, this is going to be impossible. We can't do it. This can't work. We don't know. This won't. And, you know, what became clear to me is that we cannot actually figure this out while, you know, and at the time I think we were around 700 or so employees and I thought, you know, I don't, there's no way that our operations and our IT departments could, could do this while we're trying to manage production as it's ongoing. And so, um, so I actually, you know, thought that what we should do is actually just, just basically send everyone home for a week to ended up being a, a little long. And actually we said, go home for two weeks we ended up doing it much faster in about a week and a half a little bit less than a week and a half but because i i had to i had to be able to get those teams together to formulate a plan within a couple of days and we couldn't do it when they were supporting production mm-hmm. and um and so you know told everyone to go home and we'll you know we'll, we'll let you know what, what the plan is um and and we developed a very quick plan and um, you know, and thanks to the operations and i t team there um and the you know pipeline teams there, we were able to you know basically deploy workstations and and you know remote software tools all across the whole entire lower mainland and you know it was a it was a really big deal i mean we we turned into a basically an amazon fulfillment center overnight um you know we had courier trucks coming in and you know, big vans and boxes and shipping. And, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny. We, we didn't have a choice. We didn't have a choice. You know, it's, it's what, what you can do under pressure without any options is kind of amazing. And, and I'm really, really proud of that situation. I'm proud of the team who who was able, who were able to pull it out. Um, and, um, and so it worked out and, and you know, unbelievably, you know, we, <laughs> Wild brain grew during the, during the pandemic, We went from 700 people to around, I think around 1100, I think it's when I left. Um, So it was, it was, you know, very challenging, very rewarding, um, you know, good experience overall.
1: I, I think it's amazing. And I can't help but wonder that and think that your, your knowledge and experience of, not only the high level, but sort of the inner workings of how, you know, people work, not just like the studio as a whole, probably was a huge, played a huge part in you being able, you and your team being able to facilitate and move so quickly into a remote work. I, I just think that's so amazing. Was do you, Would you th- say that that's probably the biggest challenge you've had in your career?
0: Um, I'd say it certainly is one of them. Yes. Um, it ranks very high. I don't know if I'd say it's the biggest. There's probably a tie of a couple of things. But yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: um, well, you know, and, and that kind of leads me into, you know, your new position back at Disney. And I mean, I don't want to compare too much because I mean, it, things are different. And it's always a little bit different. It's a new endeavor for you. But I am curious about, you know, now that you're setting, basically setting up a new studio in Vancouver. And I'm curious about how your previous experience doing this the first time around with Pixar and doing this now with Disney, how are things different and the same?
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's similar, but it is different. Um, you know, the, the, the differences are really the, the scale of the operation will, mm-hmm. will be bigger um, and the types of projects will be different. You know, we won't be doing short films. We'll be doing these sort of very, uh, high end limited series, um, you know, feature quality limited series. And, and that's a, that's a really different sort of approach. Um, you know, everything from, you know, the, the, the pipeline, the tools, the production management teams, the, uh, the types of artists, the, the size of the team. So that there's a lot of differences there. Um, but in terms of similarities, you know, there's some really just fundamental similarities, which is the same challenge, which is really um, trying to recruit and, and retain the best talent you can get. Um, and, and that's across all all teams, all departments, um, and, and really trying to bring them in at the right time and giving them the right tools and opportunities to, and, and space to really do their, do their thing and flourish. That's, you know, that's everything from, you know, how you set up the organizational structure to what the facility looks and feels like. Um, there's a lot of pieces there, but, um, but, but, but it's, it's all of the sort of the the people part of it. Um, and the importance of that, which is obviously always paramount and always really the hard thing to get right. You know,
1: I'm curious what do your parents think of where you landed now my parents
0: oh, they're <laughs> i think they're just happy that they have three grandkids <laughs> <laughs> uh, i honestly i'm you know i'm i'm very grateful i have a fantastic family and um and you know i'm uh you know'm I'm just i'm very grateful i'm just a very fortunate person um and uh but yeah i think i think they're they're happy um but they're really happy to have you know, be able to play with someone and hang out with their grandkids. So
1: <laughs> That's so awesome. I'm I'm curious, you know, knowing that you, you, as a child, you were such a big fan of animation and it's something that's been with you your entire, your entire life. Do you, do you ever think back to the, the sort of the over art, the arch of your career and, and kind of like Marvel as to how you ended up, where you ended up do not only working in animation and working in a field that you love, but like basically kind of shaping the future of animation too.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's quite a statement. (laughs) Thank you for that. I don't spend too much time looking backwards and I try not to spend too much time looking forward. Honestly, I show up to work and I do the absolute best I can given the situation and the circumstances I have. And then I do that again tomorrow. And then I do that again the next day. And, and I sort of then let things play out the way they need to play out. And, you know, I think that ultimately, whether things work out or they don't, they are what they are. And I love my job. I love my work. Um, you know, but, but again, my, my life is here with my family. And, and that's, that's ultimately the most important thing for me.
1: And that was my conversation with Amir Nasrabadi. You can find out more about Disney Animation at DisneyAnimation.com. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.